I don't know what happened Saturday morning. I, I don't know what was going on in his head. Nobody does, Mika. Nobody does. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii, on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every damn day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, amongst other fine affiliates, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. The Intercept's John Schwartz will also be joining us today shortly to help us focus on uh, on some stuff that actually matters, uh, that is not getting the focus it deserves, uh, again, says me, uh, between all of the allegations about Russia and Donald Trump, uh, his latest Twitter freakout in response over the weekend. In fact, all of that noise, while important to cover, uh, I suppose, uh, well, what it's doing is you have to cover it, but it's also distracting from a whole bunch of stuff that really, really deserves and needs and requires attention right now by the uh, by the American public. And in any event, uh, John Schwartz will be here uh, shortly to talk about uh, one of those things, which uh, sort of got overlooked, I think, from uh, Donald Trump's address to that uh, joint session of Congress last week. So we will look forward to that. We will also look forward. Hello, De- uh, Desi Doyle. <laughs> Hello, How I are am you? here. I was going to say we'll look forward to you, but you're here. Yes, we don't I'm have already to look here. forward. You're I'm... already here. Ta-da! Uh, there is uh, quite a bit uh, getting overlooked of late, including this. Um, a 39-year-old Kent Washington man was shot in the arm after being accosted by a white man who told him, "Quote: Go back to your own country." And then opened fire. Uh, According to the Tacoma News Tribune, the unnamed victim, who is a follower of the Sikh faith, was working on his car in the driveway of his residence on Friday evening when the attack took place. Apparently, Kent police said that a, a white man, approximately six feet tall, with a mask covering the lower half of his face, approached the Sikh man and began to berate him. 
There was a scuffle that followed, and the attacker shouted, go back to your own country before shooting the victim who was struck in the arm. The attacker then fled the scene. Uh, Kent Police Department uh, says the investigation is a top priority. They say we've reached out to the FBI and other local law enforcement officials and agencies. Um, Jasmit Singh, a spokesperson for the uh, Sikh community in Renton, Washington, told the Seattle Times that the victim is recovering, thankfully, but is shaken. Singh said, uh, quote, we are all kind of at a loss in terms of what's going on right now. This is just bringing it home. The climate of hate that has been created doesn't distinguish between anyone, Singh said. The Sikh Coalition, a national organization that advocates for Sikhs, uh, issued a news release on Saturday calling for national leaders to make hate crime prevention now a top priority. Tone matters, they said, in our political discourse because this is a matter of life and death for millions of Americans who are worried about losing loved ones to hate. In Olathe, Kansas, uh, just a week or so ago, a white man shouted racial epithets before shooting two Indian Americans uh, and their white co-worker at a local bar. All three men who were uh, workers for Garmin, uh, the GPS company, uh, they were all injured. One was killed. Hate crimes, of course, have been spiking uh, against immigrants, Muslims, Latinos and other groups. Uh, that have been uh, singled out as threats to society during the course of Donald Trump's 26 campaign. Uh, and ever since then, those uh, hate crimes have been uh, spiking across the U.S. And, you know, I got to say, again, as with the Olathe, Kansas attack, imagine if this had been a Muslim guy showing up on some white guy's driveway with a mask on and then shooting them. We'd have an all points bulletin out by now on every single cable channel. Donald Trump would be shutting down the borders to everyone. Instead, on this case, uh, but no mention, no mention by the White House uh, of the incident at all. Uh, and, uh, you know, a guy who's, well, he's wearing a turban. He's not even uh, Muslim. He's not Islamic. I know. And that's that's <laughs> the saddest part about, well, not the saddest part, but that's one of the most mind-boggling parts of this is that so many uh, apparently uh, racist white males with guns uh, have not taken the time to even bother to figure out which people they're really targeting. They're just indiscriminately targeting anybody they, who uh, appears to maybe possibly be uh, not white. They don't even know who to hate. They just hate everyone. Oh, he's a little darker than me. He's got something on his on his head. Go get him. Uh, and now we see this. President Donald Trump signed a revised travel ban Monday that will uh, halt entry to the U.S. for people from six Muslim-majority nations who are seeking new visas, though the uh, new version of this ban will allow those with current visas to travel freely. Trump's directive aims to address legal issues with the original order, according to AP. Uh, that original order caused confusion at airports. It sparked protests around the country. It was ultimately blocked by the federal courts. The new uh, and revised order is somewhat narrower. It specifies a 90-day ban on people from Sudan, Syria, Iran, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen. It does not apply to those who already have valid visas. Um, unlike the other one, which just canceled everything, uh, the White House uh, has also dropped Iraq from the list of targeted countries in this ban following pressure from the Pentagon and State Department, which had urged the White House uh, to reconsider 
the ban on uh, travelers from Iraq, given uh, Iraq's role in fighting the Islamic State uh, group, the uh, ISIS or ISIL, whatever you want to call them. Uh, nice that uh, Donald Trump bothered at all to listen to his own uh, Pentagon and his own State Department this time around. The new executive order does not take effect until March 16. So uh, 10 days or so from now. Previously, uh, the administration had argued that its original immigration order needed to be rolled out immediately. Because, as Trump argued at the time while defending that initial ban, that if the administration had given people a heads up, uh, quote, bad guys, bad travelers would have, quote, rushed into our country and threatened national security. But now he's giving 10 days before it's implemented, so I guess it's not all that much of a concern after all. Moreover, the signing of the uh, replacement order, according to Caitlin McNeil at TPM, had uh, had been reportedly delayed so that its signing would get its own news cycle. I guess this is the beginning of that news cycle. The White House had reportedly decided to wait to let him enjoy his, uh, his, his undeserved positive reviews from the, uh, from the media uh, to his joint address to Congress last week. Waiting, however, for that reason would seem to undermine the White House's initial argument that travelers from the predominantly Muslim countries banned by the order pose an imminent threat. Remember how important it was? How they rushed to court? See you in court. This must happen immediately. We're facing an imminent threat. We must stop this. Oh, I guess not. Not not that much. We let's let uh, let's let the president enjoy his uh, his good reviews on that uh, on that speech to Congress last week. The replacement order lays out specific groups that will be exempt from the travel ban, including green green card holders. They were not exempt last time. The new ban. <clears throat> The new ban explicitly uh, excludes permanent residents of the U.S. Oh, that's nice. Dual nationals who use a passport from a country not on the list of banned nations. Travelers with certain diplomatic visas, those who have already gained, uh, who have already been granted asylum here in the U.S. and refugees who have already been admitted to this country. They get to stay. At least this uh, this ban will not apply to them, at least for the moment. At least as we are told, the new order also lays out a process for certain travelers like uh, young children, those employed by the U.S. government, those who have uh, previously been admitted to the country. Uh, there's a new process now for them to apply for a waiver from this ban if they fall into one of those other categories. The Syrian refugee uh, program was indefinitely suspended in the initial executive order, the one that has since been blocked by the federal courts. That is no longer the case. However, the replacement order still suspends the entire U.S. refugee program for 120 days. That's uh, four months. So uh, good luck to those uh, refugees from Syria planning to come here. Um, good luck with that whole war-torn nation thing. NYU's Brennan Center for Justice is describing the new order as Muslim Ban 2.0. They say it's narrower in uh, in some respects than the previous version, but they say the new order still singles out Muslim travelers without providing any evidence of a national security threat. The crux of the order remains in place. 
Uh, they say travelers from a group of Muslim-majority countries will be barred from the U.S. despite any evidence that immigrants and visitors from these countries pose a heightened risk of terrorism. Faiza Patel of Brennan Center's Liberty and National Security Program says the new order is still a Muslim ban and is still unconstitutional. The government is not allowed to favor one faith over another, Patel says, even though the new order does not obviously discriminate against Islam. Courts will look at the purpose behind its provisions, and President Trump has publicly and repeatedly proclaimed that he wants to ban Muslims from the U.S., Elizabeth uh, uh, Goyton, also from Brandon Center, says this is a transparent attempt to put lipstick on a pig. The American people and the courts are not likely to be fooled. There was no national security justification for a travel ban on January 27, she says, and nothing has happened in the weeks since then to create one. Banning people from this country on the basis of their religion is against everything this country stands for, bigotry, does not make us safer, says Goitin. So we'll see. I'm sure we'll be uh, covering that in in detail in the days ahead as we uh, come to learn this uh, executive order was signed today uh, without a ceremony, just quietly in the Oval Office. They didn't make a lot of noise about it this time. Uh, so uh, as we move forward and learn more about what this uh, this new order means and doesn't, no doubt we will be discussing that in the days ahead. Uh, in the meantime, responding to uh, Donald Trump's unhinged tweets over the weekend, <sighs> charging that the uh, the phones at Trump Tower were wiretapped by President Obama last year, uh, going on to call Obama a bad or sick guy. Donald Trump is calling another president a bad or sick guy uh, and comparing the matter, perhaps foolishly, to Watergate and Nixon. Uh, former President Obama, through a spokesperson, uh, Kevin Lewis, said the charges were simply false. Uh, Lewis said a cardinal rule of the Obama administration was that no White House official inter ever interfered with any independent investigation led by the Department of Justice. As part of that practice, Lewis said, neither President Obama nor any White House official ever ordered surveillance on any U.S. citizen and suggestion, uh, suggestions otherwise are simply false. Former White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest said on Sunday, this may come as a surprise to the current occupant of the Oval Office, but the President of the United States does not have the authority to unilaterally order the wiretapping of an American citizen. Karen Tumulty over to Washington Post said uh, that uh, so explosive was Trump's unsubstantiated wiretap accusation that FBI Director James Comey asked the Justice Department to take the extraordinary step of issuing a statement rebutting it. A U.S. official confirmed that to uh, uh, Tumulty, uh, confirming a report also in the uh, in the New York Times to the uh, to the same end on Sunday. So far, to my knowledge, no such statement uh, from the Trump Sessions Department of Justice knocking down the claim as uh, FBI Director James Comey has requested. No such uh, statement uh, has yet been forthcoming. And now, days later, days later after this uh, Twitter Twitter rant, Twitter storm. E.J. Dion, also at Washington Post, says uh, that uh, Trump has a problem either way. If he was not wiretapped, uh, 
He invented a spectacularly false charge, and uh, if a court did order some sort of surveillance on him, on what grounds did it do so, asked Dion. In theory, and we don't know for certain because it's a, a secret court, uh, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, uh, or FISA court, uh, would have had to have uh, agreed that there was probable, probable cause proven by government attorneys to approve such a tap if it actually happened. And if it did, and that information comes out as far as what that probable cause is, that would uh, seem to do uh, Donald Trump no favors. Uh, and yet that is where we are with this uh, extraordinary moment, this extraordinary um, uh, president. All of this noise, uh, however, about Russia and all of these uh, glowing reviews that so many in the corporate media gave to Donald Trump undeservedly for his uh, for his speech last week to uh, a joint session of Congress, that does not seem to have affected uh, his approval ratings, actually, one way or another. CNN reports today that about two-thirds of Americans say a special prosecutor should investigate contacts between Russians and Trump campaign associates. That, according to a new CNN ORC poll, and 55% say they are at least somewhat concerned by reports that some connected to the Trump campaign had contact with suspe suspected Russian operatives. However... Uh, the steady stream of news about investigations into those contacts does not appear to have affected uh, Trump's approval rating one way or another. It actually ticked up one percentage point from 44 to uh, 45 percent uh, from January. Concerns about the reported contacts are closely tied to partisanship. Seventy one percent of Democrats say they are, quote, very concerned about it. Well, only 54 percent, still a majority, but 54 percent of Republicans say they have no concern at all about the reports. Among Republicans, a majority feel Congress can handle the investigation, but a sizable 43 percent would call for a special prosecutor, as do majorities of Democrats and independents uh, by large numbers. Overall, the poll finds that 65% would rather see a special prosecutor handle the investigation. 32% think Congress is capable of handling it. We spoke about this uh, a little bit last week, but the notion that uh, uh, you know any party that is seen as being partisan, whether it's Congress, whether it's the Department of Justice, that does not seem good for anyone, no matter how you feel about this uh, about this issue, you would think even Donald Trump would want to if if he believes nothing has happened untoward, that he would want an independent investigation because that would show that nothing has happened untoward. And they wouldn't be able to say, oh, yeah, well, that's a that's a Republican investigator. That's Jeff Sessions. That's the Department of Justice. That's the Republican Congress. Uh, you know, finding that we can't trust that investigation. You would think they would want a special prosecutor, an independent special prosecutor. In the meantime, um, that uh, that speech to Congress, which uh, folks like CNN said was fantastic. Uh, apparently that did little to uh, bump uh, Trump's approval rating right now. Just 45 percent, according to this poll, still approve of uh, the way Trump is handling his job, that's about the same number in the same poll uh, who said so in early February. Forty four percent said it back then. Uh, 
he's uh, he's he's doing well only uh, when it comes to issues only on the economy. Uh, does he have a positive rating? His uh, ratings are still negative on uh, pretty much all of the issues uh, where he's uh, taken uh, efforts to reverse the course of Obama's policies. Uh, Health care uh, right now, he's underwater 43 to 53 percent. Uh, immigration, 44 to 55 percent as far as approval, disapproval. Foreign affairs, 41 to 54 percent. And environmental policy, just 42 percent approve and 52 percent disapprove. I suspect that may uh, change even further in the coming days now that we have information about what Donald Trump plans to do in regard to the environment. Uh, here's what he said he planned to do uh, at the uh, joint session uh, of Congress last week. My administration wants to work with members of both parties to promote clean air and clean water and to rebuild our military and our infrastructure. Unclear. Unclear how he intends to promote clean air and clean water by making draconian cuts to the uh, to the federal agency that actually uh, promotes clean air and clean water. The Environmental Protection Agency, the Trump administration uh, plans to slash programs aimed at slowing climate change and improving water safety and air quality while eliminating thousands of jobs that, according to. Uh, a draft of the Environmental Protection Agency budget proposal that has now been obtained by the AP. Des, we talked a little bit about this over the uh, in our last Green News report. Yes. But now we've got a lot more uh, uh, details on the specifics yeah, of these cuts. And the details are really ugly. Under the uh, tentative plan... Uh, from the Office of Management and Budget at the White House, the agency's funding would be reduced by roughly 25 percent. Around 3,000 jobs would be cut from the people who promote clean air and clean water. That's 19 percent of the agency's staff. Trump has said he plans to pay for billions of dollars uh, more for the military. You heard him reference the military there. He's called for an increasing uh, the military budget by $54 billion, and he would pay for that by cutting spending on domestic agencies and departments like the EPA. Spokesperson for the EPA declined to comment, but a top official uh, said in an internal memo that AP was able to obtain that uh, EPA leaders, quote, will do everything in our power to protect our ability to support the mission of the agency in protecting human health and the environment. A final plan uh, is uh, subject to approval by Congress, a final plan for these cuts. This has got a long way to go before yes. these budgets are actually put in place. This is what Donald Trump, however, is calling for. They would cut also funding to the uh, to NOAA, the National Ocean uh, Oceanic and Admirs Administrative. Thank you, <laughs> administration. I guess that's why they call it NOAA. Yes. Uh, those uh, NOAA would face 17 percent cuts, according to the Washington Post on Friday. Um, and uh, they uh, that agency uh, studies changes in climate, weather, oceans, and coasts, and of course we rely on it every day. Oh yeah, it's a, it's for a the huge weather report. Uh, it, it's it's a very huge contributor to the United States' gross domestic product. There was actually a study done back in 2006 that talked about how 
basically every dollar that is spent on NOAA programs, NOAA research, NOAA satellites that do all of that, that provide 90 percent of the data for weather forecasting in the United States, that these cuts are going to actually blind us in the sky. Uh, and the, the, that, that NOAA actually contributes for every dollar spent on NOAA, it contributes about ten dollars to the U.S. economy. Uh, well, they don't care about that. They claim to be conservatives. They clearly don't care about that based on so many of the uh, the cuts they say they're planning to make here. Uh, in, in this case, by the way, uh, this draft proposal for the EPA would cut its annual budget from $8.2 billion down to $6.1 billion. It only gets $8.2 billion. Right. That's about the cost of, a, of an aircraft carrier. Uh, well, that's way less, uh, frankly, than one single aircraft carrier. That's about a, a week or two in all of our foreign wars at this point. Proposed cuts include uh, reducing uh, the climate protection budget by nearly 70%. To just 29 million and the Great Lakes Restoration Project that will be cut by 97 percent to just 10 million dollars would cut uh, would all but eliminate the funding for the Great Lakes Restoration Initiatives. This is a, a, a wide ranging uh, cleanup uh, project of the world's largest surface freshwater system. It has bipartisan support across the eight states that are adjacent to the Great Lake Great Lakes from Minnesota to New York. The program had received around $300 million annually from the federal budget under uh, under Barack Obama um, in, un, under the uh, under the Trump proposal. Instead of $300 million, it will get just $10 million. And this comes just after Congress had authorized uh, continuing the program through 2021. Congress agreed. The Republican Congress agreed uh, to to fund it at $300 million a year. Uh, even though each year they would have to get separate approval, uh, a letter has been sent uh, to the uh, to Donald Trump from the 20 member Congressional Great Lakes Task Force calling for uh, maintaining the current funding. That has been uh, ignored and that the letter was bipartisan, included Republicans uh, from Michigan, Wisconsin and uh, and from Ohio. But apparently it's being ignored in the uh, in the latest budget proposal from the White House. Uh, all right. Speaking of other things that have been ignored, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of things that are going on. There's a lot of things that Congress is trying to do. There's a lot of things that Donald Trump called for in that speech, uh, many of which won't be done at all. One thing in particular, however, will most likely be done, at least according to my guest, John Schwartz. He's coming up next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, we spoke quite a bit last week about Donald Trump's dark and dystopian first address to a joint session of Congress, which many members of the corporate media held as being awesome and presidential and the long-awaited pivot they've been waiting for from Donald Trump. Uh, In truth, uh, that speech was anything but awesome, at least if you bothered to actually pay attention to what the content of what he said actually was, rather than his tone or his, his style, his ability to actually read off a teleprompter for an hour in a row. So uh, we found much to be concerned about in that speech. But uh, over at The Intercept, John Schwartz argues, don't worry, most of what Trump promised can't or won't actually happen. As Schwartz writes, uh, most of Donald Trump's speech to Congress Tuesday night can safely be ignored Almost all the government policy he advocated is either strenuously opposed by House and Senate Republicans, is not going to happen whether or not they oppose it, or is so vague that Trump might as well have said, I support good things. However, Trump did call for something specific, writes Schwartz, that Republicans desperately want, and that is completely feasible. Uh Uh-oh. Here to tell us why we shouldn't worry about some of those things, but should worry at least about one thing in particular is John Schwartz of The Intercept. Before working there, John worked for Michael Moore's Dog Eat Dog Films and was the uh, research producer for Moore's Capitalism, A Love Story. He's also written for The New Yorker, New York Times, The Atlantic, Wall Street Journal, Mother Jones, and even Saturday Night Live. Hey, John, welcome back to the broadcast. Uh, hey, I'm very, uh, I'm very happy to be here and talk about Trump's mushy speech. Yes, it was uh, mushy to say the least. Uh, I wish the, I wish the corporate media had uh, made that clearer. But in any case, just to forestall the pain here, John, for a second, uh, let's qu- let's quickly cover some of the stuff that you think uh, can or should be ignored from Trump's speech and why, and then and then we'll get to the part where you think we should be quite worried. Well, I don't think that we need to be concerned that Donald Trump is going to spend his presidency uh, promoting clean air and water. <laughs> okay. So that's one of the things that he mentioned in his speech that, that he was going to be getting up to. Uh, paid family leave, don't think that's going to happen. Uh, better health care for women. I, I am dubious that that's going to be a big, big priority for Trump. So those are the kinds of things that he is not really going to do. Certainly the Republicans don't want to do. One thing Trump might actually want to do himself, Mm -hmm. but that is not going to happen, is driving down the cost of prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is a fantastic idea, and I am a little bit impressed that Trump truly does seem to care about that. But the pharmaceutical lobby is far, far too powerful and far too closely tied to both the Republican and Democratic parties for that ever to happen. So those are the things that we don't need to worry about. All the things we don't need to worry about are good things. All the, I was going to uh, say, those are all the good things that I wish we could look forward to, but you say ain't going to happen. Yeah, not, not going to happen. Uh, he, al- he also mentioned in one sentence, mm-hmm. he talked about American footprints on distant worlds uh, yeah. and then didn't expand on that. Yeah, what was he talking about there? 
who who knows? I, I think, you know, after a long experience, we can say that when Donald Trump says something that does not make sense, it's not really worth uh, taking a whole lot of our time to try to figure it out. Okay. Well, yeah, I was trying to figure out, was he talking about, you know, Iran, Syria, North Korea, or was he talking about, you know, Mars? Hard to know, I guess, because he didn't go into detail. And you're right. So let's not worry about that too much. Here is something, however, here is exactly what you say we should be quite worried about. We should give our state governors the resources and flexibility they need with Medicaid to make sure no one is left out. All right. Now, we worried, uh, we talked in our post-speech coverage about that, uh, giving the the uh, governors the flexibility they need on Medicare. So what exactly was he talking about, John Schwartz, and why are you more worried about this than seemingly anything else he had to offer in that speech? Yeah, this is something that people really, really should pay attention to. Uh, First of all, that sounds good, right? Like, we don't want people to be left out, and neither does Donald Trump. Right. But, in fact, that sentence was taken almost word for word from Paul Ryan's Better Way Plan for Healthcare in the Mm -hmm. United States and Medicaid specifically. Uh, And this is something, clearly, they've poll-tested this, run it by focus groups and so forth. You know, we're going to give the states the resources and flexibility that they need. Uh, This means two things. First of all, it means that the Republicans and Donald Trump, who, in fact, during the campaign, after saying he was not going to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, then said, well, okay, uh, maybe we will cut Medicaid. It means, number did, one, did he, significant... Before, actually, before you tell me, because I had wanted to ask you about that, he had promised over and over no cuts to Social Security and Medicare, and I thought Medicaid. Uh, did he sometimes leave that out, or did he just later change his mind about what he was willing to cut when it came to Medicaid? Yeah, later he changed his mind. He did explicitly include Medicaid as among the things that he would not cut. But later he changed his mind and said that he was on board for the Republican plan, which is block grants, usually either block grants or something that's called like a per capita formula. Mm -hmm. So in fairness to Trump, people did vote for him knowing that he said that he was going to Uh, cut Medicaid, at least if they read the fine print. Right. They had to pay very close attention uh, to know because he kept repeating that over and over again. Everybody's going to get coverage, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. I'm not going to cut that. Those are so important that even I didn't realize at some point Medicaid slipped off that list of things that he was uh, at least pretending he was going to protect. Right. And and you may have noticed that now his, his subordinates have adopted all the same line on Social Security and Medicare, which is that they say they have no plans to do anything to Social Social Security and Medicare now. So uh, for, you know, today and this week, they don't right. have any plans to go after them. And, uh, they and make no that, promises about the future. Right. And is, that means that uh, they won't cut it for current recipients, but they may cut it for uh, people, well, like you and I, John, down the road, uh, you know, people who are under a certain age, they won't have... Uh, the same social safety net that is in place now. Is that how you read that? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, that that they do definitely plan to go after Social Security <laughs> and Medicare. Uh, and when they do, that's the way they're going to try to make it happen, that they know that it would be impossible to, you know, yank the rug out of people who are out from under people who are 67 years old right now. Politically, there's no way they could, uh, especially because, 
you know, old people vote mm-hmm. more heavily Republican than any other age group. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not going to do that. But when they do go after uh, Social Security and Medicare, that's, that's going to be the program. That, you know, it will be younger people who will uh, feel the axe. Yeah, and they won't feel it. Uh, it'll be decades in some cases, I guess, before they even know they felt it if this moves forward. All right, you say in, in practice what he's calling for, what Trump uh, seemed to be calling for in his speech and what Paul Ryan has specifically been calling for, I think, uh, in saying, uh, you, you quote his, his better way plan for Medicaid in which he states, quote, we believe states and individuals should have better tools, resources, and flexibility to find solutions that fit their unique needs. That sounds a lot like what Trump said. So what does that mean in practice? You, you spell out uh, these, this matter in sort of uh, two separate steps here. Yes. Yeah, so number one, that means with Medicaid that the spending would be cut and it would be cut more over time. So the further out you go, 10 years, 20 years, 25, 30 years, uh, the less money there would be available for Medicaid. And they would do it via various different formulas, but Mm -hmm. the overall point is there would be much less money available from the federal government for states to spend on Medicaid, and the states don't have the money to make it up, and they're they're not going to. So that's number one. Uh, Number two is that states can apply for waivers from the Medicaid standards, and generally Republican states uh, have been trying to get waivers for various things that are, are terrible ideas, both because they're number one, you know, extremely cruel, and number two, will require just a horrendous uh, enforcement bureaucracy. Like, Medicaid, anybody who's ever dealt with Medicaid knows that it is a nightmare. I mean, it really is the epitome of a nightmarish government bureaucracy, and mm-hmm. that's because it takes a gigantic bureaucracy to make sure that uh, people who are making $5 over the poverty line, you know, are not getting any benefit. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, you have to get into people's lives. You have to uh, produce tons and tons of paperwork if you're going to get Medicaid. And this would make it even worse, the waivers. Uh, you know, Scott Walker in Wisconsin, he, he wants to drug test Medicaid recipients. Uh, they'll probably find, as they often do when they try to drug test people getting welfare of various kinds, mm-hmm. that you know, they have lower rates of drug use than yep. uh, anybody else. Right. Other states, they uh, want to make recipients work and pay premiums, which is not the case generally with Medicaid. Uh, Other states want to enact lifetime five-year limits on Medicaid, which is totally crazy. If you have a long-term chronic disease, if you have cancer, you know, you are going to need health care that lasts more than five years. So uh, it, it truly is awful what the Republicans have planned for Medicaid. But the reason that they will go after it first is because uh, the people who are the main recipients are either children or they are over 65 or they are blind or they are disabled. You know, they truly are the people with the least ability to fight back. And so it makes sense that that's who you want to uh, that's who you want to attack first. And and you you make the uh, the case here because people think of Medicaid that it is just, you know, health care for poor people. So we don't have to worry about them too much. But. In fact, uh, a lot of Medicaid money goes to other uh, to other programs, to uh, nursing home residents, uh, long-term uh, care costs. So what you say uh, 40% of all national long-term care costs uh, is paid by Medicaid and 60% of nursing home residents, uh, that is paid for by Medicaid. Is that correct? Yeah, that is right. And 
it is sort of a mystery that most Americans don't like to think about because, first of all, nursing homes are places that nobody wants to be in. Uh, the thought of figuring out how to pay for nursing homes is overwhelming because they can cost eight or $10,000 a month. And if you don't understand this and you don't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have a job where you've been making over $100,000 a year your whole life, if you get to be 80 years old and you need to go into a nursing home, there's absolutely no way you are going to be able to have saved enough money to pay for it. It's just impossible for anyone who, who's not pretty affluent. And what that means with Medicaid, people who've gone through this uh, themselves or with their parents or know this, is that generally Medicaid requires people to spend down all of their assets until they have essentially no money. And then Medicaid will step in and pay for nursing home care. And so it's not a you know incredibly generous program in any case, but it is crucial for anyone who has not made a lot of money their whole lives. And people don't understand that if Medicaid is cut, old people truly will be dying in, in the streets. And if you're a little bit luckier and you have kids with an extra room, you know, maybe you will be dying on your kid's fold-out couch. Jeez. Uh, you know, for a guy who wrote for Saturday Night Live, you're not very funny today, John. I'm just saying. I'm uh, not very funny. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> this, is, this is just the first half. I'm, I'm um, rounding the corner, and the second half of this conversation will uh, be hilarious. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to that second half. Uh, before we get there, uh, one thing I want to clarify, maybe you can explain for us very quickly, just the structure of how Medicaid currently works, uh, federal government versus state government. You talk about these waivers and that states want to basically use that federal money differently uh, for these these various ideas for Medicaid. Explain that structure because uh, and how block grants play into that. They use that term. Republicans using that term all the time. We need block grants. We need block grants. What the hell are block grants, John? Okay. well, so first of all, Medicaid is an extremely complicated government program. And you look at it and it just makes you more than ever want to get rid of all of it and just have a single payer health care system that covers everybody. Mm, that'd be nice. it is preposterous. Yeah, it, it, it just is a uh, huge waste of all of our time to have to think about these you know, millions of different ways of people getting health coverage rather than just having one way mm-hmm. that covers everyone. Uh, but in any case, uh, Medicaid is uh, one of the biggest parts of the federal government right now. Uh, it costs uh, actually, both the federal government and states together spend about half a trillion dollars a year on it. So that's a lot of money. And that money buys health coverage for almost a third of Americans over the course of a year. They may not be on Medicaid the whole year, but almost a third of Americans in any given year spend some time on Medicaid. Um, that's about a third, I think, are children uh, than their low-income adults mm-hmm. who get health care. Mm-hmm via Medicaid, Uh, then there are people with disabilities of various kinds, uh, including, you know, people who are blind, uh, people with other problems, and then there are about 6 million elderly who get uh, either, you know, coverage for nursing home expenses or in-home care. So it covers a whole panoply of various people who really desperately need it. And the way the funding works 
is that there's sort of a sliding scale, and poorer states get more money from the federal government. Richer states get a little bit less. Uh, I think the total cost is split something like like two-thirds of the federal government and one-third of it comes from states overall. But isn't that, based, isn't that based on the need, though? In other words, the, 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 the number of people, the, the federal government pays that uh, for those needs without a specific limit. If more people need it, then, then they pay more. Is, do I understand yeah, that, that correctly? Yeah, that's the most important part of the way that Medicaid is structured, is that like entitlement programs generally, if the need expands, the federal government is obligated to provide the money. And that is super, super, super important for uh, anybody to understand if you want to know why the Republican plans are so terrible. Because the, what a block grant means is that uh, a state will get a certain amount of money in some year in the future, let's mm-hmm. say 2019, mm-hmm. and it will get that amount of money based on a complicated formula, which, right. which you know differs from plan to plan. Different Republican plans have different formulas. Uh, but it's generally less than they would be getting already. And then it's fixed and only goes up, usually depending on the bill that they've proposed, uh, by the amount of inflation every year. And so you know, what happens if your state you know, ends up having more kids than it does right now who right. need Medicaid coverage? What happens if you end up having more elderly people? In particular, in terms of nursing homes, what's really important about that is that right now, baby boomers, you know, if they're born in 1950, they turn 67 this year. Uh, Ten years from now, uh, they'll be 77. In 20 years, they'll be 87. Right now, it's unlikely that 67-year-olds need to be in nursing homes. But over the next 20 years, more and more and more people are going to be in nursing homes. More and more people are going to desperately need Medicaid. So setting a certain amount per state as a block grant and never increasing it by anything more than the rate of inflation, no matter what happens, no matter if the economy falls off the cliff and people lose their jobs in health care, no matter if the population is aging, it's just it's a formula for disaster. Uh, so it's and just it a, really is something. It, so it really is just a fixed rate. That, I mean, essentially, they're saying, you know, instead of giving you the amount of money you need, here's the amount of money we're going to give you. It's a fixed rate. Good luck. Spend it wisely. If you have any problems, uh, don't tell us. Uh, we can't do anything about it. Uh, and if uh, one of your constituents can't actually... Uh, get these services or the money has run out, well, they can move to another state and try again there. That sounds like what block grants ultimately ends up meaning. Um, John, I've got just a a minute or two here, but I want to get to some of the resistance to this. Since you say this is one we really need to be worried about because Republicans and Donald Trump are on board for this right now. But... Um, some evidence uh, last week out of Indiana. This is from AP. Republican legislative leaders in Indiana, Republican leaders in Indiana are warning that repealing the Affordable Care Act could unravel a program for poor residents that Vice President Mike Pence implemented as governor, uh, a, a blueprint for expanding Medicaid under the federal law in uh, conservative states. 
This is uh, Indiana House Speaker Brian Bosma and GOP Senate Leader David Long both said last week that tens of thousands of poor people could lose their insurance if Republicans in Washington enact some of the ideas they're discussing for repealing uh, Barack Obama's signature health care law. It's really hitting home, Long says, uh, Republican from Fort Wayne. Um, the issue of the working poor is real. It's not going to be easy. Pence has been a persistent critic of uh, of the Obamacare law since uh, serving in Congress before he became Indiana governor. But one of Pence's legacy achievements in Indiana after he became governor in 2013 was expansion of Medicaid in the state under the Affordable Care Act. And uh, this uh, the, the program, his version of uh, Medicaid that expanded thanks to Obamacare, has covered roughly 400,000 people. Uh, so, John, you know, guys like Mike Pence are going to see their own constituents really hurt in the event that uh, Donald Trump and, and Paul Ryan's cuts to Medicaid and, you know, and, and the repeal of Obamacare go through. Is that going to make any difference or are there really going to be enough Republicans who are willing to uh, take these uh, services away from their own from their own voters? This is a, an extremely important point. And if it is possible to save Medicaid from cuts, it's probably going to be because of this. It's going to be because of Obamacare, that Obamacare expanded Medicaid coverage you know, from people at the poverty line or under to people with incomes you know, slightly above the poverty line. A lot of people got coverage under Obamacare via Medicaid who wouldn't have gotten it before. And it's going to be extremely difficult for them to take that coverage away from millions and millions of people and as you say, it, it, the opposition will come not just from the people themselves, it will come from politicians, including Republican politicians. So I think what people who are concerned about this need to do is to make sure that people who have gotten expanded coverage under Medicaid understand that Republicans are trying to take that away uh, and that they tell, their, uh, they tell their representatives that they are not happy about that. Uh, John Schwartz writing over at The Intercept in his article, The Only Concrete Takeaway from Trump's Speech, Medicaid is Doomed, concludes this way. He writes, Trump has spent his life making preposterous claims about what he can do for you, making promises he could never keep. But this is one case where he may well keep his word. As he said in his speech, above all, we will keep our promises to the American people. When it comes to Medicaid, the American people should take him seriously, writes John Schwartz. John, I'm afraid we never got to the funny part of today's conversation, uh, but maybe we can maybe you can come up with something amusing in the future. I, I realize it's it's hard to find right now in the Trump era. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, we ran out of time just before I started getting super funny. I will look forward to that off air. I will hear it. Uh, nobody else will. We'll keep it from them. Hey, John, thank you so much. You can find John's work at TheIntercept.com, and you can and should follow, uh, find him and follow him on the Twitters at Tiny Revolution. I think we're going to need a larger revolution, John. Thanks for joining us today, my friend. Thank you. All right. Okay, quick break, and we're back with uh, a few more minutes on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, today on, uh, on MSNBC's Morning Joe, Mika Brzezinski, uh, who, uh, along with her partner, Joe Scarborough, remember during the uh, primary and during the general election, Desi Doyen, how, how friendly they were with Donald Trump? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> they, Softball questions, yep. a nice long interview, you bet. Well, now uh, it seems maybe they're having a buyer's remorse on that one. Uh, so Mika <clears throat> and Joe were were very uh, friendly to uh, Trump the whole time during that primary and the general, but... Uh, in response today, in response to Donald Trump's unhinged tweet storm over the weekend, calling the uh, calling the former president of the United States a bad or sick guy. Now remember, this is Donald Trump calling another president sick. Uh, but it's also Donald Trump who had uh, been talking for the last couple of months about how wonderful uh, Barack Obama had been, what a good guy he is. All of a sudden, not so much. He charges uh, with no evidence over the weekend that uh, President Obama wiretapped phones in Trump Tower last year. And in response to that, the White House uh, spokesperson, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, was sent out onto the Sunday talk shows. I think it was uh, ABC News this week. Um, to defend those tweets. And essentially, she kind of giggled about them because she could not justify those very, very serious assertions. And uh, Mika Brzezinski um, spoke to that and spoke to these uh, events over the weekend and really, you know, the events over the past month and a half since he's been in power. She uh, she actually teared up a bit in in offering this response um, to uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders going on ABC and kind of giggling about all of this. Here was uh, Mika Brzezinski uh, and her response uh, on Morning Joe today. A spokesman for the president, former president, said a cardinal rule of the Obama administration was that no White House official ever interfered with any independent investigation led by the Department of Justice. As part of that practice, neither President Obama nor any White House official ever ordered surveillance on any U.S. citizen. Any suggestion otherwise is simply false. Just FYI. Uh, and when you are out speaking for President Trump, I would urge you not laugh at yourself. Because this is not funny. This is really bad. Just for the record, we're all really nervous. So if people out there feel nervous, we do too. We don't think this is funny. Um, you know, there's a lot of reporting I have behind the scenes that Reince Priebus is, uh, is flailing, uh, to say the least, at his job. I'm, I'm hearing that from um, um, uh, Bob Acosta, Robert, 
Costa is coming on later to talk about all the different sources he has on a story that's similar. But I also don't understand why the former head of Breitbart appears to be handing the president some fake news and the president is just riffing on it wildly with no sense that he is president of the United States, no respect for the office and calling former president of the United States unbelievable names. We're at a low point in American history and I don't know how anybody can defend this president, even if it's their job. Like, you've got to have a job after this. You've got to look in the mirror after this. Sarah Huckabee, or whoever is going to speak out next, you have to look in the mirror and think about this country after this is over. You need to think of the end game here, because there is one at the rate we're going. But the people close to him, the people guiding him, and I, I, this all ends up, the buck does stop with the president. I know he doesn't think so, but it does. But the people around him are so poorly serving him. They're, I, I, Steve Bannon, I get it, everyone thinks Reince is disorganized, but the people who are closest to him, who are always there, are not teaching him anything about what is going to happen if you do A, B, or C. They are pushing a strange, far-right agenda that is, they're pushing a very dangerous agenda, an extremely dangerous one. Whatever it is that's being pushed on President Trump, it has nothing to do with uh, respecting the Constitution and respecting the office. It just doesn't. I don't know what happened Saturday morning. I, I don't know what was going on in his head. Uh, and as you pointed out weeks ago, President Trump's Saturday morning routine often involves spinning out of control and sending out tweets that then ricochet around the world. There was the Saturday before he was sworn in when he tweeted that Congressman John Lewis was all talk and no action or results. John Lewis. On Saturday, January 28th, he attacked the New York Times and the Washington Post, calling them dishonest in all caps. It was Saturday, February 4th, when he called the federal judge who halted his travel ban a, quote, so-called judge. And he attacked the media on Saturday, February 11th, over his daughter Ivanka's clothing business. This is where we are. And this is where we are. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, to my guest today, John Schwartz of The Intercept, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it uh, and all of the rest for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find, follow, harass, and share us widely, pretty please, on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.